folks! My name is Chelsea Johnson, my pronouns are she, her, and welcome to How to Survive the Apocalypse, A Queer Person's Guide to Life in America in 2023. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? From the legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015, repealing of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, increasing LGBTQIA representation across all forms of media, to bathroom bills, a tsunami of homophobic and transphobic legislation, and systemic abuses of power and oppression rampant in our infrastructure in our daily lives. What is a queer person to do? I think most folks over the age of 20 have a good amount of whiplash at this point and are feeling really complex emotions on a daily basis living in America. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist who has been practicing since 2011 and who has focused my entire career on serving the LGBTQIA community. I am an out lesbian, a cisgender feminist, a grassroots advocate, and a therapist in a southern state deeply entrenched in homophobic and transphobic ideology. I'm also the owner of Horizons Marriage and Family Therapy, a group therapy practice serving the LGBTQIA community and their mental health and relationships. We are here to explore together, how do we survive in America in 2023? I started this podcast because I found myself on a daily basis, having conversations with my patients about this exact topic. And I'm so blessed and grateful to be able to do that and help people in that way. But I started to think about all the people out there from the community who can't access therapy, who don't have affirming seasoned clinicians in their life to help them process these really nuanced topics. And I wanted to reach a bigger audience. There are so many options I have heard from people they are contemplating to deal with what's going on in our country. Leaving the country, moving states, advocating at a grassroots level, really hard for change. And all of those are really viable options. But for the purpose of this podcast, we're gonna be focusing on people who are not leaving, people who are staying where they are for any reason. You know, I've heard from many people, they don't wanna leave. They want to make things better here. They want to enjoy their life here. And we should all be able to, of course. So that's going to be the focus of this podcast is in America, where we are, what do we do? For this first podcast, I also thought I would tell my personal story a little bit more and share a little bit more about my own journey with you all. And then I will bring in my wife, Stephanie Herrera, later to talk about her own experience as an out lesbian her entire life and how she is processing and coping with some of the stuff going on, as well as how we're coping as a partnership and raising kids in a Southern state deeply entrenched in homophobic and transphobic ideology. So to start out, here's a little bit more of my story.
I grew up with a very run-of-the-mill upbringing, you could call it, a very privileged upper middle class, mostly white suburb in Northern Virginia. And like many people in the culture I grew up with, I did what was expected of me for a really long time. I got a bachelor's degree, then I got a master's degree, I got married, I had three children, and still I wasn't quite fulfilled. And it was something on my heart for most of my life that I had a pretty deep connection to the LGBTQIA community. I had really close friends growing up who identified as gay, and I always, you know, supported them and loved them. But I started to realize in 2020, like everyone else that I spoke to in 2020 who wasn't fully out, that I was queer, that I was a lesbian, and that I couldn't hide behind a bisexual identity anymore. And it was such a disservice to my family for me to keep that so buttoned up and suppressed. I have been serving the LGBTQIA plus community since 2011 when I started my clinical training as a therapist. And I always felt such passion and life out of my sessions with those people. And so for me, it was a long kind of folding back the layers process to finally say in 2020, I need to come out. And not only do I need to come out, but I have to really change my life. And so behind the scenes, behind appointments with people, with um, people who might be going through the exact same thing I was, I was changing my entire life. And this really, really amazing thing kind of happened, which is when I changed my life and when I came out and when I started being my full self with patients, my work kind of went to the next level. I went from a solo private practice focused on serving the community and their relationships to a group practice. And I recruited excellent clinicians who know what they're doing just as much as I do, who do such great work with the community. I also started advocating in our justice system locally here, speaking at congressional meetings against what I would deem harmful bills to the community. Um, I started, you know, connecting with local organizations like Equality North Carolina um, to do the real work because I realized coming out was really important for me and really helpful, but the calling on my heart was bigger and I am going to stay here in North Carolina and serve this community, but how do I serve that community, right? It's not just behind the desk or through the screen talking to people about how they can, you know, survive in their own life and make the changes they want to see. It's about storytelling. And that is one of the most important things I have learned so far this last few years, personally and professionally, is how powerful storytelling really is. And that's why I'm opening up for the very first time on this podcast today in a very public way about my own story. This is something I really hesitated to say too much to my own patients about or, you know, to the larger community because I was honestly scared. You know, what if my patients judged me for 
changing my life in such a dramatic way? What if my patients, you know, judged me like maybe people from the community would for coming out later in life and having privilege for the first two decades of my life that they didn't have? But what I've come to really realize is that all of our stories are really important. And when you tell your story, you tell the truth to power, you share your story, it showcases a whole individual, a whole person, someone complicated and nuanced and dynamic that you can't get from seeing photos, from reading legislation, from looking at statistics on reports, all of those statistics and numbers and things you see in the news, those are all people. And the hardest thing I've come to realize, which is a very tough pill to swallow, is that the oppressors, they are complex people too. And they also have a story. And I think one of the hardest things we're facing as a society right now is we can't hear those stories anymore without experiencing deep anger and pain. And we have lost our ability to connect, to build bridges, and to be influenced by each other, especially people who are very different and very uninformed. And so one of the things I've taken note of in my own life, and I'm also going to share with you, as well as I share with my patients, is one of the first steps I have seen so effective we can take in the systems of oppression we're living in is storytelling. I realize it's not safe for everyone to just rampantly share their story and then live with the aftermath. But if you have the platform or the ability or the courage to do so, it makes people see a whole person, a person they might be able to connect with in unexpected and surprising ways. It takes the battle environment out of a moment and it builds a bridge sometimes. Even though you might be queer, and the other person may not be. Maybe you are disconnected from your family, and maybe they are too. Maybe you are very entrenched in the local culture, and you love parts of the local culture that they also love. And they have lost sight of the fact that you're part of their community, that you go to the same grocery store, the same church, you go to the same park with your kids every weekend and your kids have played together and they never even knew. We are all real whole dynamic beings, just as I am as a therapist who sits behind the chair. And I'm here to tell my story to you all because I wanna demystify the idea that any of us is simple and one dimensional. One of the things I learned in grad school that's so important when you're learning about diversity, race, oppression, ability, is that nobody is a single story. We all are nuanced and dynamic and unique. And stereotypes and archetypes are caricatures, but they don't tell you who a person really is. And the more we can focus on storytelling, the more we can start having conversations that lead to change. So that's the lesson from my personal story I want to start off by sharing. And now I'm going to bring in my wife, Stephanie Herrera, to tell some of her story. All right. Hi, Steph. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Uh, before we 
jump off, I wanted to just acknowledge some things about us um, so you can kind of know the lens we speak from. So I am um, white and Steph is biracial, but oftentimes white passing. Uh, We are a middle-class family. I am neurodivergent. Steph is neurotypical. And all three of our kids are neurodivergent. So hi, Steph. Hi. Thanks for coming on my podcast today. Thanks for having me. So I thought we might start off by you telling a little bit more about your background and history um, and your your queerness, your gayness. <laughs> uh, I'm Steph. Pronouns are she, her. I'm 33 years young. Uh, I grew up in Texas for most of my life, and I spent the majority of my early latish 20s um in san diego california and then i spent the last handful of years out here in north carolina yeah you're from south texas to be specific it's very big yeah yes (laughs) yes definitely from the uh the southern part of uh south texas yes yeah and so i know um like many millennials sorry our dog is running around uh like many millennials you came up in the era of Obama when things looked really progressive for the community. You know, the legalization at the federal level of same-sex marriage, don't ask, don't tell gets repealed. Um, and, you know, you're just seeing the like queer people in the media being displayed so rampantly. And then boom, right before you move back to the South from the beautiful bubble of San Diego, everything starts to look really different. Um, so I'm just curious for you, having grown up, you know, in South Texas, like your journey, you know, kind of overarching view of what it was like to come out, the age you came out, and then experiencing all those cultural shifts from all those different environments. I mean, yeah, I came out at a really young age. Um, I was 15 when I actually said, you know, I'm gay. Um, I said to my friends first, because I'd hoped that you know, they'd be okay with it. And as soon as I said, hey, I'm gay, they were like, yeah, we know. And I was like, oh, you guys are cool. And they're like, uh, yeah, dude, we're cool. And I was like, sweet. Um, and then I had to go tell my grandmother, who was a Southern white Baptist woman. Um, and I told her and she kind of did, took me by the chin and said that I'd always be her baby. And it didn't matter. So I had a really beautiful, um, you know, coming out story, which I know most folks in the community don't often have. Um, and so, yeah, so being in South Texas and, and being, you know, a, an out person was difficult at times. Um, you know, it was easy in some areas, but also very difficult. And then, you know, being in California, well, you know, it was free as a bird, if you will. Um, but it was really beautiful for you yeah, to see that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, California for me was like my sanctuary, like my safe place. I could, be whoever I wanted to be and nobody looked at me sideways or asked me to sit somewhere else in a public establishment and that was really nice and uh you know now being out here in North Carolina I I feel you know good still about you know being able to be out I don't feel like I have to hide who I am but I think there's certain pockets where I might not feel you know out and proud like woo you know, um, just yeah. For my own reasons. I know you had many experiences growing up in South Texas, visibly gay once you were a teen, where you were discriminated against, and you've told me you know you felt less than other people at times and unsafe. And so, you know, obviously, what your experience was in San Diego, very much safe, very much welcome. You could be your whole self, and then you hop off a plane 
to North Carolina and suddenly your guard might be back up. I would say it's elevated. I don't know if it's up like in its entirety, but it certainly is elevated. And um, I think depending on where I am in North Carolina, I'm a little bit more cautious versus, you know, if I'm here in the pocket we live in, I, I feel really safe walking down the street, you know, being yeah masculine presenting well one of the things we ran into somewhat early as a partnership um you know I came out later in life and stuff came out when she was quite young and she is more gender non-conforming um more masculine presenting and I am much more feminine presenting I think sometimes when we were doing things together we would have different feelings or different levels of comfort or discomfort and you know blending two very different stories together there were times where we weren't on the same page or you might feel quite uncomfortable being a gender non-conforming presenting person in a public establishment which was mostly cis hetero white people and I you know I I had the awareness that we were a queer partnership and the awareness perhaps that people were observing us and seeing us that way but maybe not the same like deep kind of discomfort as you. How do you think we have um, traversed that together? Uh, I think we communicate a lot, you and I. I think we certainly communicate more and we talk more, um, you know, maybe how the other person might be feeling as we approach an event or we're at the event or, you know, on our, on our way home, we definitely communicate more and we talk about those things and we share feelings you know with each other yeah I think that's one of the things so I think a lot of couples like us have two different stories right two different things about them that make them unique as queer people and I think a lot of couples might struggle at times to get on the same page with what's going on in the world right now um and so I'm curious Steph how do you think we cope with all of this as a partnership together? Well, we definitely communicate with each other. Um, We talk about feelings we might have depending on where we're going or any sort of upcoming, you know, conversations around, you know, just being out in public, um, you know, just depending on the situation. I think we watch and view a lot of queer content. We do. I mean, I I, I don't know why I laugh when I say that, but yeah, I I love queer content. I never really thought I would, um, but it turns out I do. And we, you know, anything where we can see representation for ourselves, um, I think we certainly, you know, indulge in it yeah so I think that's one of the hidden things that I really didn't realize until lately for myself um was that you know we have this community of friends around us who you know we can see ourselves in right like they're two female identified folks or two queer folks with kids or a family um like us that we can talk to about these certain things um but also I think that in lieu of the representation physically around us at times, yeah, that queer art, queer media, um, it's a really beautiful point of connection for us. And seeing that queer excellence out in the world 
is really beautiful and wonderful and helpful because um, when geographically, you know, you can't see it all around you. Sometimes you can see it represented other places and remember that it's real and that we're all out here and we're here together ultimately. Um, and so I, I think that's definitely something we do. And with our different maybe like worldviews we're bringing, it's more important than ever that we you know, talk about our different discomforts and why I'm thinking about pride this year. And this was the first year that I was truly concerned about potentially something unsafe or terrible happening, even at the local level. And so we really like to bring our kids. Our kids are now asking to go. They're very excited to go. Um, and we had to actually have a really hard conversation this year about, hey, do we bring our little you know, twin four-year-olds with us in a wagon to tote around? Or does a wagon make us less mobile if something bad happens to get out of there? Which was a horrible thing to have to talk about, but it is a reality. Yeah, I think one of the things we agreed on and weren't going to bend on was the fact that we were going to go as a family. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that we knew. You know, we're not going to feel you know, ashamed or afraid to be out and, you know, attend a Pride event you know, as a family. But yeah, I think, you know, the conversation around, well, do we take the wagon? What if something happens? You know, you grab this one because they're lighter. I grab this one because they're heavier like that. Those were actual you know, sentiments that we had to share with each other. Um, but, you know, it wasn't very fun. And I don't think people realize that those are conversations that folks like us um, have. But it does make us feel united. I would say. I agree. Yeah. I definitely think that. And protected with each other. Yeah. I, I think we both in those moments are sharing a lot of the same feelings, um, you know, with each other. And we are a hundred percent on the same page with just the you know, most important thing that day would be the safety of our children. Yeah. And so you bring up an interesting thing about parenting, which is you know, we've done a pretty good job educating the three kids um, about like the community itself, the different identities that exist within it. But our oldest firstborn child is eight. And one of the harder things we've had to navigate is starting to tell her more about people and that belief exists out there that doesn't support us and people like us and people from the community, which, you know, you hope to sometimes not peek behind that curtain with your kid for a long time to let them live in the world unburdened by that. But I remember when I went to speak at the legislature the first time this year, I actually did for the first time say to her, do you know what this law is that I'm going to be speaking about and how it could potentially, you know, harm people like me or people like you um, and that was such a scary, upsetting, hard conversation. But at the end of the day, we both, I think, want the kids to have a toolbox in their pocket, you know, sort of theoretically, mentally. If somebody says something to me, if somebody says something about my family, about the fact that I have two moms around, about somebody else I love or know, how do I want to respond? And how do I defend myself in that moment? Because even though it's our story, it's part of her story. Right. And Absolutely. that's been a harder thing to navigate as a family. Yeah, I think so. And and I think to your point, right, we want them to feel, you know, equipped and empowered to speak up um, when they're faced 
with those difficult situations or conversations you know I don't we don't always know what other kids might think or say right you know we do live in the south we do live in North Carolina um I, I don't know. It, it's difficult for them. But I, I do think that you, especially you, I don't really take much, if any credit, <laughs> but I just think you've done a really incredible job with helping them. And in doing so too, you know, even just listening to the conversations you've had with them, you know, it also helps me to be mindful of the same things. And, and I think I certainly take away at least something when you have those conversations. It might not be something I, you know, maybe thought of before or, you know, could have called on in those moments. Um, but I do think now, you know, I, I certainly can. And, and I think I do. And I think making sure our, our children feel equipped to do the same is, is important. Yeah, I agree. How important do you think it is for us as a partnership and partnerships like ours to take care of our individual mental health to also help um, our partnership during this time? Man, I mean, you know, it's well it's extremely important and I think about you know myself like uh you know little stuff like I don't think that she would have ever been like you know therapy rocks right but um you know as I've gotten older I've really leaned into the concept of therapy and the things that it's helped me with and I think being able to both spend time together and apart and talk about tougher situations for us you know and things we might experience in and around our community is extremely important i mean i'd list you know individual therapy as one of like the top five things i probably couldn't go without yeah yeah i mean i think for both of us that's definitely the case and one of the things i have known and seen is that a lot of times queer people have a very difficult journey into adulthood and haven't been able to see healthy representations of love and connection, especially from the community maybe, but even their own caregivers. And so when we get into these adult relationships, we're bringing a lot sometimes and we don't realize how much those earlier you know, experiences might affect us. And so knowing your own needs, being able to express that to your partner in a healthy way, and if your needs are in conflict, working together to make sure everybody's okay, even if, like you said, that does mean time apart and time together. Um, and finding balance is crucial because we don't want to be doing to each other what we're already experiencing, you know, in the world. Yeah. And also finding, you know, points of connection with the greater world and seeing how we're more alike than different starts with knowing who we are and knowing ourselves and embracing ourselves for sure. Yeah, I think knowing who you are is a huge part of it. And I think even though I was out for most of my life, I didn't have the most gracious upbringing. And I was it was tough um, in a, many, many different ways. And then you know, meeting someone like you, who I'm not going to say had a you know, wonderful upbringing, but the emotional intelligence level you were on comparative to where I was, <laughs> we were just miles apart. And I think a lot of the things I... They thought, you know, queer people had to be, especially masculine queer women, you had to be, had to act, had to say, had to do was not accurate well, was at all. Yeah. I was doing things that just weren't, you know, who I really was at my core. And I think once I started to, you know, do more, um, you know, therapy sessions and really focus on the tougher pieces, I, I really was able to connect to who I am at my core and who I've really just always wanted to be. And, and certainly being able to share that with you and, 
you know, have the space to do so, um, was just really beneficial for me too, as a person and, you know, trying to traverse the world as it turns. Well, and now I think seeing that, you know, we're so more polarized than ever being united at home and embracing and living in community, I think are fundamental ways partnerships and families can start to cope with what's going on. And like, we talk about that representation in the media and art being also important if you're in a very isolated space. Um, You know, our community, I would say is somewhat diverse, but mostly white, majority heterosexual, definitely majority cis out here. And so you have to seek it out on your own to be okay. And then not ignoring those parts of you that do mirror some people in the community. Um, I would say we were pretty concerned when we moved into our current place that we didn't know what we were going to get from new neighbors and people around us and if they would embrace us or not. And I think our experience has been that they mostly have, which was such a beautiful surprise, but we were, we were preparing for anything. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we were preparing for anything given that we didn't really know what to expect, but our neighbors have been extremely warm and welcoming. Um, and we've had a couple of really good, you know, just awesome moments. Um, you know, since we've been here, um, the cookies, a neighbor a very young neighbor girl baked cookies um right when we moved in and wished us a happy pride month because we had a very visible garden pride flag at our front (laughs) and it was such a beautiful sweet thing and I think I actually maybe teared up that day just how sweet and unassuming but beautiful that was and I have to keep looking for moments like that myself when I feel so scared or sad or angry about the you know legislation um ripping through the country right now well i think it's just trying to find the good you know anywhere you can and the more moments of good you have to draw on Mm -hmm. can be extremely beneficial um sure do i wish one of you know the homes next to us going up a queer family would move into absolutely yeah of course i do but is the reality that you know it could be another you know like just cis family yeah and I just hope they're okay with us um but again knowing that we have you know neighbors surrounding us who are um I think it'll definitely make the situation regardless of who moves in just yeah easy for us so you know despite our different journeys to get here and somewhat different identities in many ways let me go back through what we do we communicate our needs in a respectful, loving way. We identify discomfort. And if we're in different places, we talk about why. We consume, you know, content that we feel like reflects our community and us and mirrors, you know, parts of ourselves. And then we also take time for ourselves apart when we need to and focus on ourselves, whether it's individual therapy, hobbies, friendships, Um, so that we get to connect with all parts of who we are and then we can be our best in the relationship together with the kids and parenting. There's a lot of arming them with information about, you know, how the world might be perceiving queer people, both positively and not. We talk about our values and we talk about how it may affect them, but we also encourage them to be themselves and to express what they feel, right? Yeah. Not just what we feel. Oh, yeah. 
And I also think at the end of all of that, there is unity in being a family who does talk about these things and who is on the same page and expresses their emotions and needs. And we can always come home and be safe here together. I agree. I think as a family, we, you know, as best you can with an eight-year-old and four-year-olds, I think we do you know, the best job we can with them. Um, and just being you know, vulnerable and sharing with each other. And, you know, regardless of how tough it might be, everybody in our family opens up and it's nice to have those moments with all of us together and being able to support one another. Um, it's just a really beautiful thing for a family like ours through the kind of times that we're living in. Yeah. So Steph, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing parts of your story. And I hope that other queer partnerships out there might hear some of our feedback and hopefully it's helpful. Well, thank you for having me. No problem. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on this very first episode of How to Survive the Apocalypse. If you're interested in hearing more, please subscribe. If you're a parent who is unsure where to start talking to your kids about these topics, gender identity, sexuality, lack of support, or support for these things, there's a really great book that I read with my oldest child that I would love to recommend to you. It's Pink, Blue, and You by Elise Gravel and Mikhail Blaze. It's available on Target, Amazon, and lots of other booksellers. And I will put the link to this book in the description of the podcast. And I really hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you so much for tuning in.